it's Kylie and welcome to 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. Normally on Wednesday, I do something to help me understand the Sphera. This week, I'm saving that for tomorrow because my due for the final week of Sphera wraps up my entire experience with the Omer. So today I am bringing you the interview I normally do on Thursday with somebody who embodies the attribute of the week. For this week of Malchut, the trait of queenliness, kingliness, and overall majesty, I'm talking to one of the women I admire most, Alana Newhouse, the editor-in-chief of Tablet Magazine. This trait of Malchut is about going through the ups and downs involved in honing each of these emotional attributes time and time again. There is nobody I know who has done that like Alana. She's come away from her experience with the ability to meet every moment with grace and comfort in who she is. Alana is so thoroughly herself and a total queen, making her the perfect person to talk to this week. Hi, Alana. Hi, Kylie. I'm so excited because the reason why I want to talk to you for Malchut is because Malchut is all about queenliness, kingliness, we can say that, but it's the ability to hold all of the different traits of the Omer. So it's all these different emotional traits. It's humility, it's discipline, it's love, connection, and to be able to move through them and pull them out when you need them. And I don't think that there's anybody I've met who does that better than you. The first time we ever like hung out was at the Marlton Hotel. And the whole time I was thinking like, okay, when is it going to come out? Like, when is she going to show me that this is not real? I really thought like there was going to be something that was going to come out that you were going to be switcheroo. like, yeah, some kind of thing where it was like, she's really great, but it can't be that she's this great. Like there's got to be something she's faking it or something. And you never, it never came out and you're very real and you're very grounded. And it's really hard to do that. <laughs> First of all, it's interesting that you brought up the sitting in a bar or in a lounge together as a moment that felt evocative or generative to you because it's it's an awkward thing to say but I'm actually quite a, I'm a private person. Mm. I'm not on any social media in part because that's not where I feel good and I don't feel good because I can't be real. Mm. Um, and I mean, I have plenty of pretty gross and unattractive adjectives about me <laughs> too. But um, the point is, is that I can't manifest any of the things that feel like me in a space that doesn't feel, that feels public mm. or feels like I'm not actually connecting to another human being. It doesn't feel safe. So the two things are related. And I, I admire people who can be real in public I may even still be envious of them. I definitely used to be because I, I like speaking to audiences if they want to hear from me, but that's not really where I'm going to be my present self. You somehow managed to be your present self with other people though. Like I've seen you in groups of people and what you do remarkably well, it is this very, like a, a royal ability to bring people together and to help them connect by you being yourself. I think it's a lot less about who I am than mirroring back who people are. I'm a journalist, right? And and that's how I was trained and I was and I was drawn to it for a reason. I was drawn to it because I liked the idea of mirroring back to people who they were or what was happening in a moment and I liked being able to kind of blank myself out a little 
in an effort to reflect something back because I feel like the reflection can be incredibly useful for one's own ability to fix and enrich and better oneself. And this is kind of obviously relates to the Omer, right? That there's something about the act of ritual that is mirroring. Where were you yesterday when you did this? Now you're somewhere else, but how do you feel? Like it just makes you look at yourself again. I'm not I'm not trying to be sort of ridiculously modest, but I do think that like what I bring to those spaces is less this huge basket of my own magical attributes and more just a mirror of yours. Mm. What does that look like, I guess, in a person-to-person relationship? Because as I see you, you are just yourself. In every scenario, you're just you. I've seen you with your family. I've seen you with upper society women. Mm. I've seen you in public. I've seen you, like, I've seen you in all different kinds of environments. The same person. There's a level of comfort with who you are and how you show up in scenarios that doesn't really change. That to me, the mirroring isn't so much, I don't know, feeding back to somebody else what they're giving as much as it is just you being you. So um, the best behind the music episode was the one with Madonna. It's the best one. And in that one, objectively, um, it's official and everybody knows it. In there, there's this one line, this one great interaction with the interviewer where the interviewer starts starts this question and saying to her, so when you realized that you were going to you were gonna get to New York and you were going to be a, a dancer and a singer and you were going to take over pop music and pop culture and you were going to be all these things, what was your strategy? Did you think dancing first and then singing? And you know, how did you imagine you were going to take over the world? And Madonna just looks at the camera. She's like, yeah, I was just trying to get the hell out of Michigan. And I come back to that a lot in part because I've written about this before, but I have a son who was very sick as a child who still has a lot of challenges, which is amazing, um, but has a lot of challenges, very challenging for me. And one of the things that I think it did is just like, like I'm just trying to get the hell out of Michigan most days, meaning I literally don't have the capacity to be different people. I don't know how else to say it. Like, I don't know, even if I wanted to be, I'm not sure I have the kayak to like put on a different costume today because that's not what I want to spend my, like I, I don't have the time for that. I want to wash my face, put on some lipstick and be able to be present with you. But that's kind of like the most I'm going to be able to do. <laughs> so... So maybe that's also part of it, that like I had this experience that was very grounding and it really did, it created a baseline or a um, room tone of my life. And I come back to it all the time, partly because I have to, but also partly because I've learned it's like where I find flow. What was it like before? What were you like in your 20s? And I don't remember at all. I, I mean, it's a really, honestly, I, I, I'm happy that you, I remember the Marlton, which was not long ago. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember. I mean, I do remember, well, I remember being a teenager and I remember feeling quite lost mm. and actually quite lost about this, like quite lost about who I was and why it felt like I was different people in different spaces and I don't know, nothing really felt like it was uh, the best version of me. It always felt like different kind of mediocre versions of me. And a lot of it, I think, had to do with the community that I grew up in, with this sense of being in two worlds, being in a, in a from world and in the larger world. Not, not that it was the community's fault at all, but just I think that my interaction with it was complicated. I didn't know how to 
be in all of those worlds and to be great in all of them. Maybe some part of the schizophrenia of that experience made me flit the other way, overcorrect by becoming truly only one person ever. I can't change. I can't ever be anything different other than what I am right now, which maybe is a weakness. I don't know. I'm not sure I have a choice anymore. Well, you being yourself doesn't mean that you don't use different resources in sure. that moment. So you do have the ability like, to do what you need to in a given moment and to bring out particular emotion in a given moment, which is why I think it works for Malkut because it's just that. And when I think queenliness and kind of royalty, it's easy to go to an image of somebody who puts on, the, takes on the role. That's how I've thought of myself. Like mm-hmm. you have to take on the role of the wise person mm-hmm. or the person who is the leader When in reality, if you're doing it well, you're just the same as everybody else or you're just you. I shouldn't say just the same as everybody else. You're just you doing it. But I do think that there's, I was just thinking back to the most recent time that we were together and we were in a room with a bunch of people from very, very different backgrounds talking in part about Jewish values, American values. And I found myself so struck by your gentle, totally diplomatic, but very affecting, not criticisms, but a mindfulness that you brought to the conversation, reminding everyone in the conversation that there were many other people outside of that conversation, that those people were very different, that those people had different vulnerabilities and different needs, and that any conversation that purported to be about principles and values that didn't take those people into account wasn't really actually a worthy version of that conversation. What I loved about it was, is that there was gentleness in the awareness that you brought to that conversation. And I felt in that moment that, yeah, I guess we're all doing this. We're all doing it for each other. But some of us are aspiring to do it better than others. And you, in that moment, it felt to me like I like there was a model there of some kind of awareness and modesty, actually. It was a person with modesty making a plea for other people, a gentle plea for other people to be modest too. And I, I, I was very affected by it. Thank you. I think because you said that and also what you talked about with your son – I think this all comes down on some level to just personal experience and Mm -hmm. what you've seen in the world. I'm from Kansas (laughs) and the daughter of a single mom who just tried to get by and all of the things that we have in life, we don't necessarily choose. A lot of the things we don't necessarily choose, but they affect who we are and who we become and how we respond to the world. And if you take the cards you've been dealt and let it inform who you are and how you relate to people, you're like you've reached malchut at that point, whatever that looks like for the individual person. Like it'll look different for everybody. But the idea that majesty is within your reach as a girl from Kansas, like, I mean, I, that to me is a central principle of, of Judaism is that some of the highest attainments of the earth are within our reach as human beings, as just that we have the capacity, we've been given the capacity and many of the tools and skills, the aspiration behind that, like the, the, the desire to want to be a queen, even if you never achieve it, that's what I watched in that moment. And that's what I found 
I admired so much. And, and also it's what I admire and it's what I admire in a lot of people. Like this idea of, I have a responsibility in this moment to like bring something to this dinner table conversation to help a friend. There's some way of like, I'm here to make this better. This actually brings us back full circle because on the first Thursday episode, I talked to Cheryl Paul, who is God sent to earth, who wrote The Wisdom of Anxiety and who talked about how with her work, she thinks about who am I serving? This can be for one person, but who am I serving? And if we carry that into our experiences, into our interactions, it elevates them completely. And it also, it broadens the span of what we can do on earth because we're thinking about other people and we're thinking about the responsibilities that we have and how we can elevate whatever it is that we're doing. I agree. And the reason why I love tying it to an emotion as work a day or as part of a lot of our daily lives as anxiety is that, again, like Sphera, like a lot of rituals, the act itself feels boring or can, sorry, I mean, it feels boring to me. Um, so it feels boring and kind of burdensome and annoying. Um, but in a way, I do feel like it, the, the analog is athletic training. Some days, if you're an athlete and you're training, some days you do not actually want to run. And yes. then all of a sudden you hit flow. And you can only hit flow on the 11th day because of the 10 days before that felt incredibly annoying and just like a burden and just like something you were doing, but you were priming yourself for the 11th day. Seeing in moments of anxiety or moments of, of feeling, just this is my opportunity to just get through this moment. And then on the other side, there may be an explosion of some sort of opening. It actually relates to a favorite book of mine is a book by Twyla Tharp called The Creative Habit. The whole point of the book is that we're under this impression that artists get inspired, like, and this idea of lightning striking, that uh, it just strikes you. And then all of a sudden you have your Mozart, right? And her whole point is, is in fact, that's never how it is for artists, even artists who don't know what they're doing, they are training and they are creating these mundane moments of life that seed the ground for the lightning strike. I feel like we're doing that with interactions on a daily basis and with rituals. Well, I don't know if there's a better way to end my spirit experience. I'm so grateful. I mean, I, it is embarrassing. It feels overwhelming, but it's also, I'm so grateful because you mirrored something at me and it, it felt very good. And you mirrored it right back. I saw what you did there. You flipped it. <laughs> you mirrored it back. And that felt good too. It's so a neat I'm, trick, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very impressive. Very <laughs> subtle. <laughs> Thank you, Alana. You're so welcome. Thank you so much. Happy Omer. Happy Omer. <laughs> My love for Alana was reinforced by this conversation. When I first met her, she was so perfectly at ease and naturally comfortable with me that I thought she was faking it. I was sure she was faking it. There's something about people who are authentic that can be kind of off-putting. For most of us, I think Malchut is something we are trying to attain. And that's why somebody who's actually made it there is so weird to see. Stay tuned for tomorrow when I bring everything together with some of the special people in my life. Until then, I'm Kylie Unell, and this is 49 Days to Stretch My Soul.
49 Days to Stretch My Soul is a production of Tablet Studios. The show is hosted by me, Kylie Unell, and is produced and edited by Daron Ruske, Josh Cross, Quinn Waller, Robert Scaramuccia, and Sara Fredman-Ader. Our team includes Stephanie Butnick, Leah Leibovitz, Mark Oppenheimer, and Tanya Singer. Please go rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps other people discover the show. For more of me, you can follow at Kylie Unell on Instagram. For more information about this or any other of Tablet's podcasts, visit tabletmag.com slash podcasts.